0: Well, good morning, church. It's so good to have you, just as Chad mentioned there. So thankful for each and every one of you. Dan and Tina, good to see you back here. Um, But we've certainly uh, missed everybody this past week and glad to be together again. Uh, Today we'll be participating in the Lord's Supper. So if you didn't grab one of the elements on your way in, um, as we get toward that part of the service, one of the ushers will be happy to pass those out again. But just so you know, just uh, have those ready. But we will get to that. So we, as you know, certainly live in a time of many crises. I mean, it, it seems like you hardly, you know, you're going from one to the other. Whether that's uh, an economic crisis or a crisis in, in some nations, um, or maybe it's in even in our own personal lives, right? Some of you are going through health crisis or just different situations in which it feels like your world is falling apart, and and that's hard. And our prayers and and sympathy is is with you. But today, there's one crisis in particular that I want to focus in on, and this crisis that we'll be looking at is a crisis within the church, and we'll call that a crisis of caring. So I think we could identify, in many cases, with the words of Jerry Bridges, who says, there is a crisis of caring in the church of Jesus Christ today. Many Christians readily agree agree with David's lament, no one is concerned for me, no one cares for my life. So we, we all get so busy, so absorbed in our own responsibilities, we're insulated from one another. We pass each other kind of like ships in the dark. We say this friendly but hollow, hi, how you doing? Expecting to hear the same. Oh, I'm doing great. It's wonderful. Our jaw would probably hit the floor if we heard, actually, I'm not doing so good. I'm in a bad place right now. In many cases, I'm not sure that we'd know what to do, right? We'd probably try to work through that, all the while seeing if we could sneak out of the conversation to to kind of get away from that. So even though the, the church is the place that God intended for care to happen, sadly, even churches struggle to care for people in them. So God's design is for the church, as we'll see, to be that place and to be the best place. But in all reality, the church is not even the first place anymore that people go to when it comes for help. Neither is it the second place. In fact, we could say that sometimes churches are the last place that people would actually go to. And the reason for that, I think, is, is multifaceted. There may be a different combination of things. Uh, the struggle to care is, is both struggles within the leadership and within the congregation. For example, some people believe that it's the pastor's or the elder's job to go and visit every single member to do every single case of care. And while there's truth uh, in that, we also know that no one person or several people or c- could possibly keep up with that within the life of the church. It could be that people just don't know how they're to do it. They're just not sure what that looks like. Maybe they don't feel equipped for it. In some cases, we can struggle with just being too busy. I'm not sure that I have time to, to, to do that. Or perhaps it's just us being private. I don't really want to know other people to know what's going on in my life, and I'm not really interested in knowing what's going on in their life. But failure in leadership can also impact the practices of member care in a church. In other words, if leadership is too busy keeping up on the structures of a church, the, the people can be neglected. In other cases, the care of members has been so professionalized that people get the feeling like, we really can't help you with those kind of problems you're having. You need to go see a professional for that. We can handle the little ones, but you need the real help for the big ones. Regardless of all of those, you know, possibilities and, and things going on, we can agree that uh, member, a lack of member care shows up within the church. We can see the results of struggling members. They're disconnected, they're hurting, and the body of Christ doesn't function as it should. So our text Today is going to be in Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 10. And wouldn't it be nice if there was a passage in particular that, that would talk about how do we care well for one another? I mean, if there's one passage we could go to that would really encompass many of, these, many of these themes, wouldn't that be great? Well, there is. And we're going to, we're going to look at it in Galatians 6. It's going to be burden bearing. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will be happy to give you one. But Galatians chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now as you're turning there, Paul has previously been talking about life in the Spirit. He's been explaining what it looks like to walk by the Spirit instead of the flesh. And now, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see that being lived out in terms of burden-bearing, carrying the burdens of others. So, if you're there and you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. "'Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted.' Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in good season and due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You may be seated, and we will pray uh, for God to help us in this task. Our dear Heavenly Father, we approach this morning with a challenging text, this call to burden bearer. And as we will see, this is no light or no casual calling. It's taking on the load of someone else to the point where it becomes a burden to us. But we are thankful that we have the greatest burden bearer, Jesus Christ, who enables us to bear burdens. So, Lord, I pray today for those who are uh, struggling to bear burdens. God, I pray you will help them to see that there is a a reward in their efforts. Please encourage them, Lord. Please provide your grace so that they do not give up. I pray for day, today, too, Lord, for those who maybe are struggling with guilt, feeling that they are not bearing enough burdens. Remind them of your finished work on the cross, how you are our great burden bearer. So wherever we're at today, Father, I am confident that your grace and your word will meet us in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we think about member care today, I've been using that language it's ties into our relational commitments to care for one another and so it brings the question you know what does member care look like so i would define member care in terms of what we're talking about like this it's the act of living out the one another's in scripture coming alongside of of each other as encouragers and burden bearers and providing others with gospel hope and practical help for life's challenges now there's admittedly a lot in that definition. I don't expect you to remember that. There's no quiz at the end on that. Uh, but we'll be addressing some of those components. You probably heard this language of one another's in there, living that out. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the theme of burden bearing. And, and it comes in the context of gospel community, of this fellowship with others. And, and you, you heard mention that gospel hope and then practical help for life's challenges. So we'll begin to flesh out those themes through our time today, but I don't want you to leave without picking up on the main point. So our main point today is this, that we care well for others in the church by bearing their burdens by the grace of the greatest burden bearer, Jesus Christ. So we care well for others in the church by bearing their burdens by the grace of the greatest burden bearer, Jesus Christ. Now before we get into the how of burden bearing, let's talk about the why. You know, why is it that God wants us to bear the burdens of others, and why is it that he wants others to help bear our burdens? Now, we could go in a lot of different angles and directions to, to talk about this. For example, we could talk about the fact that God created us as image bearers to live in relationship to him, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We could talk about the way that God has created us as image bearers to live in relationship with one another, Genesis 2, verse 18. Or we could talk about uh, the way that we have been placed in community with one another, where we can worship and serve God together in the family of God. And we could look at passages like Ephesians 2 or 1 Corinthians 12 to see those dynamics there. Or we could even see that in in biblical community, God um, calls us to reflect his character and attributes through our relationships with one another. And we could look at that dynamic of it with the end result of God being glorified. But where I want to dive in more and be a little more specific is in a couple other points. So in other words, God has entrusted the church through the means of his spirit and his word to care for members. So given he's given the church the responsibility of member care, not the government or some other institution. So we as a church have been entrusted with member care. It's not something we can Uh, pass off to the government or some other institution. We should care about member care because God first cared for us. If God hadn't first cared for us, then we would have a very difficult time in caring for others. But the fact that God first cared for us enables us then to care well for others. Through member care, it expresses uh, our dependency on Christ because we ask for and receive help from others. In other words, Member care matters because it leads to a Christ dependency, not a self-dependency. We also present a gospel witness to the outside community through the way that member care happens. The the better and, and the more we're able to do member care, the better a witness that is to the watching world. As we looked at last week, relational unity, that's maintained through member care. If there's not member care going on well, it's very hard to have unity. And then members are able to use their gifts to serve others in the body so that the body is built up. So each one of you has a particular gift, a particular calling that the Lord has entrusted you with, and you're able to use that in the context of the whole body so that the whole body is built up. Now, I could summarize all that, and you're probably wondering, Josh, you should have just got to the point quicker, but I like to take the long way at things. But I can summarize that just by saying God's glory is displayed to a watching world through the way his people interact with and care for each other, okay? So it's how we display God's glory to the watching world through the way we interact and care for each other. Now, at this point, you may be starting to wonder, what does member care in a church look like? I mean, I'm sure you've seen some things here at Newcastle. You may have had experiences in other churches, but you're probably wondering, what what does this look like? What should this look like? I would describe it as a culture, not a program. So we cannot make member care a program. It's not like we can have one slice of the pie that says this is member care. Nothing else we're doing is going to be about member care. Only this one segment right here. Member care permeates through everything we do. It's, it's not about developing a list and checking it off. It's a culture where the biblical one another's are lived out. So in a church where there's good member care, the, the practice of biblical one-anothers are being lived out. So biblical one-anothers, what are those? Well, in the New Testament, there's over 50 one-another commands. So commands for believers to do something or, or live in relationship to other believers. Commands such as loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, comforting one another, showing honor to one another, and many, many more. And if we had time, we would go through all of those, but we don't. So we're only going to look at one of those. But this commitment to member care involves everyone in the church, from leadership to everyone in the congregation. Just as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 that the whole body is meant to work together, uh, so we are to work together. It is easy for us to look at different parts and and think, ah, I don't like the way they're doing that, or uh, critique them or criticize them. And there's certainly a place for critique, but. At the end of the day, we, we want to think about how are we doing ourselves at fulfilling uh, the role that God has for us. So what is the role that God has for us? Is there a way in which we all are to care for others in the body, whether or not we are in leadership? I believe that there is. I believe that there is. And, and so if we will seek to fulfill the one another of burden bearing, it will result in a greater culture of care within the church. Now, that brings us to our first point, okay? So our first point is this. When it comes to burden bearing, don't dream of being great. Dream of being a burden bearer. So I want to give you a new dream today, okay? I don't like your old dream. I want to give you a new dream. Dream of being a burden bearer. Now, let me start with a question. How many of you have a dream, a, a dream of in some way to do something great with your life so that it won't be wasted? Anybody have a dream like that? Nobody? Nobody? Okay, one person. <laughs> You're starting to worry me. No, nobody else has a dream to do something great with your life. Okay, more of you do. Well, that's good. I can work with that. Uh, how many of you in some way would like to significantly impact the life of someone else for a positive reason? Any, anybody would like to do that? Okay, that's better. Good. Well, I think all of us, you know, I mean, I just love stories of people doing really significant things. Like those really heroic things. Uh, this past um, Friday, I think it was, there was a, a wreck uh, in, back in Louisville on the bridge and the semi-truck goes through the bridge and it's like hanging there uh, and this woman is about ready to plunge to her death and the firefighter, you know, is able to rappel down and pull her from the truck. Ah, oh, I love stories like that. I mean, I, w- I wish I could do something like that. But the reality of it is most of us are not going to have that opportunity. So what would you say if I told you there was something that you could do that was far more safe than rappelling down to save people from falling semi-trucks, yet even greater than maybe rescuing somebody from a a truck or a burning building? Anybody on board for that? Good, good. So that thing is burden-bearing, and John Stott says it like this. He says, To love one another as Christ loved us may not lead to some heroic, spectacular deed of self-sacrifice, but to the much more mundane and unspectacular ministry of burden-bearing. So it leads us to actually a more mundane and unspectacular ministry, but that actually has more significant impacts. So what is burden-bearing? Well, burden-bearing is where members come alongside of each other, not above them, but alongside of, to, to help restore those who are struggling with sin and to relieve the weight of those who are suffering. Now, I will definitely acknowledge that burden bearing definitely doesn't seem as glamorous and as exciting and as great as doing uh, some great deed. For example, it can seem more impactful to pay off somebody's house than it can to bring them a casserole, or to get them a new vehicle instead of watching their kids so they can have a date night, or to fix all of their problems instead of simply sitting with them and listening to them and weeping with them. But listen to what john piper says he says here is a vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than if you became a millionaire 10 times over develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to making them lighter okay this is the extraordinary ministry that every christian has been called to bearing the burdens of others the reality is that what seems so mundane And unimpressive is actually bringing great glory to God. But see, the reality of it is most of us don't dream of being a burden bearer. Anybody had that dream lately? I just, Lord, I had this great dream of being a burden bearer. I didn't think so, right? Most of us dream of being a somebody. And even as Paul is writing here to the context of the Galatians, he's he's writing to, to a church that would have been surprised by this. You see, bearing burdens was the role of a slave. So Paul's call is for believers to become slaves. We see that throughout the letter of Galatians. First, in the sense that believers are no longer a slave to the law, but secondly, they're also slaves to the Lord and to other Christians. So the mindset in which they and which we are to have is one of not expecting to be served, but rather to serve. Now, some of you in particular, I think, perhaps needed to be reminded of the greatness of burden-bearing. Maybe some of you are moms of young children. You feel insignificant and having a great impact in the lives of others. Maybe even wish, I just wish I could do a lot more to serve the church and to help, but I really can't. Just with this place in life, I can't do a lot, but I'm just nothing. I'm not doing anything. Or maybe some of you can hardly get out of bed, and you're just wondering, doing something significant, that just seems so far-fetched. I can barely get myself out of bed. What you may need to hear today is that you can still have a significant impact on the lives of others by bearing burdens, even if that burden bearing doesn't look the same way as it does for other people. So what does your particular burden bearing look like? Well, we're going to unpack that as we go through Galatians, so hopefully you'll have a more clear understanding of that by the time we get to the end. Now, Paul begins chapter 6 here by addressing the whole church. He uses brothers uh, that's meant to include women as well. So you could say men and women, brothers and sisters. And Paul is addressing them both corporately, as, as a group, and individually. And often, we look at things individually. We, as uh, Western Americans, have such an individualistic lens that we look on things we view the, the Christian life just through the lens of ourselves and not through the lens of the whole body or the church. So did you know that there are believers in other parts of the world that really are afraid to go against the consensus of the whole body? If the, if the whole body has said, this is the direction in which we are to go, they're like, we're going in that direction too. We're, we're, we're not going to go our own way. We as Western Americans, we're, we're much more likely to say, nah, they can go that way, I'm going to go my own. But that's not the, the norm of Christianity. So in Paul, as he's writing Galatians here, uh, he is addressing you know, this life in the Spirit, and he is pointing out how this is a community project, a community effort, a community life, not just an individualistic approach. So just look at some of the ways that Paul deals both with the individual and with the corporate. For example, if you look at verse 1, he says if anyone, so there he's talking about the individual aspect, but then he mentions the corporate aspect, you who are spiritual. So this is a plural, y'all, y'all who are spiritual, restore that person. In verses 3 to 5, we see the individual part coming out where Paul says, uh, each one, each he talks about the each, the one, but then you get into verses 9 and 10, he moves back to the corporate aspect again. When Paul is talking about the reaping and the sowing, he's talking about the whole body in this. So why does any of that matter? What's the, what's the big deal if it's individual or corporate? Well, there's an individual and a corporate part to our burden bearing. There's things we do as individuals. We, we bring the meals we, we call them, we check in on them, we mow their yard. That's all true individually. But then there's a corporate part of that where we as the whole church are involved in the one another of burden bearing. It's both of those. So one word hopefully starts to stand out to you is even as you're reading just that first introduction right there. He doesn't use that word. He uses brothers and sisters. But when you think of brothers and sisters, what's something that comes to your mind? Family family. So, Paul's writing to the family here, and a failure to think of other believers as family uh, really plays out in a lack of care and responsibility towards them. So, thinking of other believers as family means that we don't view ourselves in competition with them. Instead, we're here to support and care for them. So, Paul here refers in verse 1 to someone being overtaken or caught in a fault. So when Christians are caught in a sin, other Christians have the responsibility of helping them uh, escape, but with caution, so that they too don't become entangled up in it. This transgression or this sin that he's talking about is not limited to any one particular example, but could refer to any way in which someone is out of step or out of line with God's commands or God's Spirit. So those in the church who have been overtaken by a sin— uh, are, are the ones to whom the rest of the church has a responsibility to help them out of that sin. The same is true with suffering. So how should we respond to those who are overtaken by a sin or in the midst of a difficult circumstance? In other words, is it the pastor's job or the church leader's job or an elite group in the church? Is it only their role to respond to that particular person? Well, no, not according to what Paul is saying. Notice how he says you who are spiritual. So Paul is directing, uh, he's addressing all of the Galatians. He's not singling out a particular group, such as the pastors in Galatia or this elite group of Christians. He's talking about all believers there. Why? I think that's true because nowhere else in the letter of Galatians does Paul single out a particular group. Secondly, the believers in Galatia have everything they need to help others Who are entangled by sin or who are in suffering. For example, all the Galatians received the Spirit when they heard the message of the gospel. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 5. They all have enjoyed Abraham's blessing. They've all received the promise of the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 14. God has given them his Spirit because they are sons. Chapter 4, verse 6. They live by the Spirit. Chapter 5, 25. Therefore, walking by the Spirit, they're led by the Spirit, and they're keeping in line with the Spirit. We see that in chapter 5. So all the Galatians have the capacity and the calling to help in the restoration and in the aid of other Christians. Now, what is the goal in this? I mean, what, what are we trying to do when we're, when we're seeking to come alongside of somebody to restore them? Well, again, the goal is to restore. So Paul speaks about restoring them. This restoration brings unity. Um, Paul's used the same verb here back in 1 Corinthians 1.10, where he's talking about bringing the church, uh, the Corinthian church, back into unity. So when believers are entangled by sin, the result of that is disunity. But on the other hand, as believers are being restored, believers are being helped, the result of that is unity. Now, how do we go about this? You may be wondering, well, that sounds like the right thing to do, but how would I even go about restoring another person, or seeking to restore another person, or uh, bearing the burdens of someone else, helping them in suffering. Well, to guard against hurting other people in the process, Paul is going to qualify how believers are to go. You see, you can actually hurt somebody by going sometimes. Maybe some of you have been hurt by the way others have, have come to you. So, so Paul doesn't want that. He wants them to go in the right way, and the right way is in the spirit of gentleness. So this means that we still confront sin, we still encourage repentance, we still point people to Jesus, uh, but we're doing so in the spirit of gentleness. We're coming alongside of them rather than standing above them. So the way in which we go matters. If we go with pride or for selfish reasons, that will not bring unity. That will not help anyone escape the snare of sin that they're in. The way we go is in gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit and it requires the Spirit to practice this. So, evidences of gentleness point back to the work of the Spirit. So, Christians should approach correction and help of others in a way that's dependent upon the Spirit and that displays the fruit of the Spirit or gentleness. Now, gentleness cannot be taught in the sense of knowing intellectual truth. I mean, I I can't give you a sermon on gentleness, and expect that itself to to change you. Gentleness is a character quality produced by the Spirit that's necessary for unity to thrive. So again, Paul's very concerned that Christians go about this in the right way. If they don't, they could easily fall into the temptation to judge other people for their sin, or to pridefully look down on them, or to be impatient with others or to be angry about the other person's sin, or just to lack gentleness in responding to the challenges and problems that another believer has. So gentleness is a requirement for all of us in coming alongside of each other to help. Now, Paul also qualifies how this process is to work. He says, watch out. So watch out for yourself. So we as individual Christians can fall into sin as well uh, in, in our efforts to help others escape if we're not careful. How so? Pride. So pride can easily lead Christians to believe that they're superior to the one that they're helping or that they're not vulnerable to the same temptation. Without that care, without watching out for the, the pride in our life, uh, we too could fall into that, those same things. So the believing community has to be on guard for pride here. So Paul's warning is really a safeguard so that believers are reminded of their need for God's Spirit to be working in their lives as they're going to help others. So our first point here was dying to your old dream, having a new dream of burden-bearing. Our second point points out the difficulty of this, the difficulty of this. So the ministry of burden-bearing is a ministry of dying to yourself. Now, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that burden-bearing is something easy, that it's just a cakewalk, a walk in the park, or whatever the case is. It's going to result in someone dying. Hear me carefully on this. Let's talk about who we're talking about here. Uh, I'm talking about the flesh, that sinful part of ourself that still remains. This is what has to die in order for us to bear burdens well. So in verse 2, Paul specifically deals with burden-bearing. Again, that's the assistance that Christians provide in helping to restore uh, other brothers and sisters. And the way that Paul speaks about this is it's not something casual. No, it's something that's going to be cumbersome, something that's going to be a burden. This word that Paul uses here for burden bearing is used uh, when, Paul is, or when Jesus is talking about the disciples bearing their own cross back in Luke Fourteen twenty-seven, as well as Christ uh, bearing his own cross in John nineteen seventeen. Okay, so burden bearing is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, and it's it's this idea of taking something on a, a very heavy load to the point where it creates a challenge to the one who is bearing it. As I've said, this is not always a convenient or an easy task. Burden-bearing is a servant's role to which Jesus has called his followers. In doing so, we provide relief and assistance to those struggling from the weight of burdens. Now, in the context here in Galatians, Paul has been talking a lot about sin, and certainly the, the bearing burdens includes that, helping people in the midst of their sin, but it's not limited to that. It also, helps, it also um, plays out in any kind of suffering. Again, until this point, though, we've been only talking about burden-bearing like it's a one-way street, like it's just us who are supposed to bear the burdens of other people. But if you look in uh, verse 2 there, notice what Paul says and what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, bear the burdens of others. He says, bear one another's burdens. In other words, there's a mutuality that goes on here. This is a two-way street. So what Paul is saying is there's no one who is so self-sufficient that they don't have any burdens for others to, uh, to help bear. Interestingly, Jesus himself had someone bear his burdens after he had been beaten and whipped. Cyrus carries the cross. Now maybe some of you need to hear this today. Perhaps some of you are just super good, and thank you for that. You're super good about bearing the burdens of other people, and you do a really good job at that. But you don't let anybody bear your burdens. You're you're thinking, no, I'm I'm fine. I don't have any temptations. I don't have any sin struggles. There's just nothing in my life that I need anybody else to carry. If that's your case, I'd really love to meet you. The reality of it is all of us are involved in this. It's a two-way street. What God would have you to do is, in humility, allow other people to enter into your life and help lift some of those burdens. Now, burden-bearing Uh, fulfills the law of Christ, but we need to watch out for pride. I've already mentioned that before, but we're going to pick up on that again. So watch out for pride. So it helps the other person, that's true, but it also fulfills the law of Christ. You see, Christ is always the model for how the law should be lived, and at the heart of the law is this command to love God and love our neighbors. So burden bearing is a very specific way in which loving our neighbor happens. Now in verses three to five, Paul is going to warn or caution believers not to become overconfident, to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. As Paul has been explaining, pride is such a great danger when it comes to burden bearing. So some may think that they have no burdens that anyone needs to bear, no sins that they struggle with. And others may think, I just don't need to help with the bearing of others' burdens, regardless of whether or not you're in any of those uh, all of those are, are not where the lord would have us so whenever those things happen the church is weakened when people overestimate themselves or consider themselves to be something the result is conflict and disunity in the church now in, in, as paul is writing to galatians here it's important to know that he's writing to a very shame honor culture and in shame honor cultures honor is is very very important so in Paul's time, people didn't have a lot of currency. They didn't have Bitcoin. They didn't have those you know, gold billions or whatever. You know, they didn't have all that stuff, right? So they accumulated or accrued wealth in other ways. And one of the ways that they accrued wealth was through honor. So by their position, by their jobs, by their, their place, they elevated themselves to become wealthy in the sense of having honor. So as Paul writes to them, bear one another's burdens, that would have been a huge blow to some of these folks. Because someone who was honored like that, it would have been shameful to step down to the role of a slave and bear burdens. What kind of weak person would admit they need help or help others? So why does Paul warn us in verses 3 and 4 about thinking too highly of ourselves in the same context as he's teaching about burden-bearing. Why do you think he does that? Why is he warning us to keep a watch on ourselves? Well, again, pride can show up in a lot of ways in burden-bearing. Maybe we think that we could never sin like so-and-so. Maybe we think that we're better than the other person because we haven't sinned in the way that they did. Or maybe, maybe we start thinking that we're the one that's solely responsible for the help in that other person's life instead of giving credit to God. Maybe, again, maybe we refuse to let other people help us because we think we have it on our own. Now, in verses 6 to 10, we have this encouragement to keep pressing on when it comes to burden bearing. Like I've said, burden bearing is hard. It's not easy, And, and it's difficult to keep pressing on. It's exhausting. So, Paul uses this agricultural imagery to encourage us to keep pressing on. So, when the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God, there will be spiritual fruit. There's a harvest that won't be seen until the end, even though we're reaping some of the benefits presently. So Paul provides a warning not to give up. If we give up, we won't reap what we've been sowing. In other words, it's hard to make that phone call to check on the person you haven't seen in church in a while. It's hard to keep trying to help that other brother or sister when they don't seem to be very open. It's hard to sit and weep with others. It's hard to follow up on anniversaries after the passing of a loved one as those years go by, but God has provided to reward our efforts. Pretty soon, as you know, you'll see the farmers in the field. But as you know, they don't expect to go out the next day or even the next week or even the next month and have the crop. It doesn't work like that, but they do expect to harvest in the right season. And the same is true with the Lord. You might, see, you might not see the harvest soon, or even in your lifetime, but it will come. God will reward. So as I've said, this ministry of burden-bearing is not the thing that Disney movies are made of. It's a call to die to ourselves, die to our pride and our self-centeredness for the sake of serving the Lord and others. So how can we embrace the greatness of a new dream of burden-bearing? How can we do that? Only by the grace of the greatest burden-bearer. So the grace of the greatest burden bearer leads us to our third point. The greatest burden bearer will enable you to bear your burdens well. He will enable you to bear your burdens well. So what can you do? What do you do when it's hard to bear burdens or costly? How do you keep going? How do you keep pushing through that? Some of you here today are are bearing a lot of burdens, as I've mentioned. And, And I don't want this message to sound like another thing to put on your plate, another thing that you're failing at. At times, we do need to remember the dues and be about the business of burden-bearing. At times, we do get a little lazy and need that motivation, like keep on, keep pressing on. But at other times, we need to hear the message of done as well. So in the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2.24, "'He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree "'that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. "'By his wounds you have been healed.'" So Jesus, the greatest burden bearer, bore our burden of sin. As we see in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So I don't want to rush too quickly past the fact that Jesus is our greatest, he is our burden bearer. He is the one who now empowers you and I to bear burdens well because he has borne ours. Earlier in Galatians, Paul has said that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, back in chapter 1, verse 4. So the greatest example that we have of a burden bearer is one here of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So did you know that by becoming a curse for you, Jesus has enabled you to be blessed by the Father? And therefore, given that we are blessed by the Father and freed from the curse of the law, we are able to be a blessing to others. That is good news. Perhaps then where you should look is not to yourself and to your failures in burden-bearing, but to Christ and his perfect burden-bearing on your behalf. So how is it then that we as a church will care well for others? By bearing the burdens of others? How will we bear the burdens of others well? Not by checking off a list of things to do, but by looking to the finished work of Christ and patterning our lives off the example of the greatest burden bearer. The done of his burden bearing means that you don't add anything to your standing before God by your efforts. So simply put, the more we look to Jesus to trust in his burden bearing for us and conform our lives to the example of his burden bearing by the empowering of his spirit, the better we will be able to burden bear. I want to end with a few questions and applications when it comes to this idea of burden bearing. For example, what if you've not experienced the love and care of the church in the way that you should have or or thought you should have? What do you do then? So there's a good chance that there's somebody here today who has not experienced the love and care of the church in a way that you should have. It may have even been here at Newcastle, under our care. And I wanna express that I'm very sorry for that. I mean, the two, the two most important statements, the two best things I like to hear are this, I'm clearly pointed to Jesus and that I'm cared well at this church. I love hearing those more than anything else. But the reality of it is, we don't always care well for other people, even when we have good intentions. And I wanna ask for your forgiveness in that. To those of you who haven't experienced care from the church in the right ways, I want to ask for your forgiveness. But I would encourage you, too, to look to the love and care of Christ to help you navigate through your own feelings and struggles. So more than anyone, Jesus knows what it's like not to be cared for, to be unloved, to be hated, to be rejected. And as we look to Christ, our own experiences come into the right perspective. We've never been more unloved than Jesus has. We've never never been more uncared or more ignored than Jesus was. So the way out of this is not to languish as a victim. No, in light of Christ, we are more than conquerors. Because of Jesus, you can care well for others and you can bear their burdens even if you haven't experienced it well from others. Why? Because you've experienced it well from Christ. But that leads us to, you know, what are some practical examples of caring for others through burden-bearing? You know, what's this look like in practice? What could look like bringing a meal, inviting someone over for dinner, buying groceries for someone who has lost a job or going through hard times or a single parent, uh, being an accountability partner to someone, could be listening to someone, weeping with them, uh, who has lost a spouse maybe or a child or is just going through something could be praying for another one, writing an encouraging note or letter to them, watching the kids so a couple can have a a time away, could be mowing their yard, trimming their bushes, could be running an errand for them, sitting with them at a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's calling a mom to encourage her through through the challenges of parenting young children. It could even be coming to the funeral of someone you don't even know at church who has passed away. Those are just a few of the ways. But the point is that whatever it looks like for us, there is a way in which all of us can, can do something to bear the burdens of others. There, you know, it, it could look like, uh, in some cases, the ministry of prayer, a ministry which I believe is very neglected. How often do we hear someone say, well, I guess the only thing I could do is pray for them. The only thing you could do? Friends, that's one of the most important things that you can do. So even if you can't get out of your chair, even if you're homebound, you can pray for somebody. A church that cares well requires a church that prays well uh, for members in it. So in light of Christ's finished work of burden-bearing, let's move into the most visible reminder of burden-bearing, the Lord's Supper. So if you have the elements now, take those out. If you uh, forgot to grab one, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will hand you um, one of these. But, but take your elements out. We're going to be starting with, I don't know if it's the top or the bottom, but the little side with the bread in it. We'll be starting with that first so you can peel that back. So if you, so we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and the reason we celebrate it is we reflect back on Christ's body broken for our sake on his blood shed for our sins, and we also look forward to the time in which we will celebrate with Jesus as the bride of Christ who have fully been transformed. So it's a looking back, and it's also a looking forward. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, if you're walking imperfectly but yet repentantly in the light of Christ, then we would invite you to participate. But if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation— Or if you're not sure what we're even doing here, if this is like a snack or something after the meal, then it's best that you not partake of it and instead come talk to us afterwards and we'll walk you through the process and explain what we're doing here. So the Lord's Supper, when it's received by faith, is a way in which Jesus bestows his grace upon us. So from the words of Mark 14, verses 22 to 25, And as they were eating, he took bread And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, this is my body. So I invite you to take the bread, and as you're eating this, remember the body of Jesus that was broken for your sins. And you can turn it to the other side and open that. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So as you drink, drink the juice, remember the blood of Jesus, which was, was applied for your sins. So I would like to end with a prayer while the worship team is coming forward to prepare for a burden bearing. Not one I wrote myself, but one of the best i found. So join with me in prayer as this prayer for burden-bearing. Dear Lord Jesus, the call to shoulder up under the burdens of friends and family drives us to you today. Otherwise, we would simply turn and walk away, just like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. There are seasons when the needs around us seem to far exceed the resources within us. Where else can we go but you? Lord Jesus, it's only because you bore the burden of the law's demands and judgment for us, only because you say to us, cast all your care upon me, for I care for you, only because you call to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, that we can continue to show up and shoulder the many burdens of others. Grant us grace not to be afraid of the emotional messiness that certain burdens bring. Help us to know how to rely on your presence more than we rely on mere words. Help us to understand our limits, but even more so, help us to be very aware of your limitless mercy, grace, power, and peace. We pray for friends who are struggling in their marriages, feeling hopeless, angry, and spent. Bring the power of your resurrection to bear. Humble one, then the other spouse. We pray for families with children who are acting out in destructive ways. Bring these kids to gospel sanity and grant the parents wisdom, forbearance, and strength. We pray for friends facing great medical challenges with diminishing health care resources. Grant your healing grace, and we ask you to sovereignly move within the health industry. It is just as broken as our bodies are. We pray for our churches. Restore your people to the joy of your free and glorious grace. Pour out your spirit upon our churches and redemptively disrupt us. Forgive us for making much of wrong things. Rekindle the, rekindle the passion of first love relationship with you and the hearts of pastors, elders, and deacons do beyond all we could ask or imagine in our church families, Lord Jesus. We bring all of these friends to your throne of grace, and we seek to fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, the way of the gospel, as you give us strength, wisdom, and grace. So very, so very amen, we pray, in your persistent and sufficient name. Amen.